What a blessing to have a few moments of silence sans shuffling. I'm glad that so many of you could find your way back to the hall and have a few moments of ah, just breathing, and feeling your own space. I remember when I was here with my son, Matt, who was with me for many years, that when we would sit without the children, I just felt like I could feel the space around me, you know, energetically. Like it wasn't just his little fingers weren't all over me. That was part of it. But just energetically, it was like, oh, it's not just that he's not here. He's with someone else who's caring for him. You know, that's a very different kind of spaciousness to have as a parent, to feel that your child is in good hands. And um, for those of you who are new, I want to assure you that your children are in very good hands. They're very skilled counselors and all is well. Even if they're having a hard time, all is well. Um, I'm wondering who is here for the first time, if I could just have a look at you. Welcome. Welcome again and again. <laughs> um, I want to just say a few words, uh, particularly to new families, about retreat, family retreat in general, and then go into my particular offering for the morning. Um, when we think, think of the word retreat, probably we have an image, just as we have an image of family, we have an image of retreat. Um, Certainly my image is of a kind of pristine silence and um, lowered eyes and lots of sitting and uh, kind of a real detachment from the daily, you know, hustle and bustle and the daily distractions and a chance to come deeper into my own heart and um, my own body. So the family retreat is obviously a little different. <laughs> it's a retreat, but it's one of those sort of retreat on the hoof kind of experiences where the practice is mostly going to be going deeper into our hearts and into our bodies in the presence of our children and other people and finding, um, finding our practice in the middle of that. And it's a great challenge. This is like warrior level practice. You know, this is, I think, much more challenging than sitting a 10-day silent retreat. Um, how many others feel this way? <laughs> um, so... It's really an opportunity to be with what is and to notice our reactions, which is something we, we try to do at home probably, but it's so hard to do it in the midst of, of everything. Here, it, it is a little more um, contained. There is the, the phone isn't ringing. So you don't have to go food shopping. You don't have to, well, you do have to cook, but you know what I mean. You don't have to plan <laughs> a menu. <laughs> um, there's many things that are not pulling on us. And so we get to distill our attention down to the, the essence you know, the essence of the quality of our connection with our children, um, the practice of staying grounded in our own experience, noticing our own emotions while being as present as we can be to our children and their emotions and their experience. It's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity in a way to practice the kind of parenting that we so valiantly strive for at home and so often feel we fall miserably short. Um, if you're anything, anyone like me, you will also feel here that you fall miserably short sometimes. Um, I came here with a, so I think Matt was six when we first came, and our first um, time here together was so awful, I thought I was going to have to leave. And I was one of the leaders, you know, so I was really <laughs> stuck. <laughs> I mean, I could have left, but it would have looked really bad, you know. <laughs> but it was, it was truly horrendous, and, um, <laughs> and people were so kind and so supportive and um, really listened to me and really helped me. 
and in years after, I became the sort of poster child for anyone who's having trouble come to me. It was like, <laughs> anything you're going through, Betsy has gone through it, so go to Betsy, you know. And, and it's been beautiful. And there are some families here who I've had really wonderful opportunities to share my experience and my misery, and it's helped them to um, hold their misery more lightly and um, come back stronger as the years go by. So you'll, I'm sure you'll have a wonderful time. I'm sure you'll have some awful moments. And um, please know that we all suffer together and we all rise together in joy. So don't hesitate to turn to another parent, turn to a teacher, anyone here, the counselors. We're all here to um, support each other. And um, you'll learn more about yourself than you probably wanted to know. And then you'll have many months after this to go home and sit when you can and reflect on it. So I, uh, I wish you a really strong, deep, full range. What does what John Kabat-Zinn call it? Full catastrophe living. I wish you a full catastrophe retreat. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, <clears throat> here's a song to sort of set us off. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You can give them your love, but not your thoughts, because they have their own thoughts they have their own thoughts. You can house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You can strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Strive to be like them but you cannot make them just like you. Oh, our children are not our children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through us, but they are not from us. And though they are with us, they belong not to us. We can give them our love, but not our thoughts, because they have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. <laughs> we can house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which we cannot visit, not even in our dreams. We can strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. Strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. Hmm. You know, I sing that at every retreat, and at different retreats, different lines jump out at me because they're kind of what's on my mind this year. And what's on my mind this year it pins to the line about they, they dwell in a future that we cannot visit, not even in our dreams. And 
the reason for me that our theme this year is change, it's actually a theme that I, ch I suggested, is because I feel like our children are living into a present and a future that is changing with enormous rapidity um, at, at unprecedented change. We have a, a, a globe, a, a planet that is going through climate change and rises in sea levels and drought and hurricanes and a real uncertainty. Thank you, Arshan, for, for uh, giving us the word uncertainty as another translation of the word in Pali, is it, for change. Um, a great uncertainty about what this planet's going to look and feel like as time goes on. Um, our society, our, our civil society, is going through a lot of change. Um, we are seeing some of the foundations of our democracy shaky and um, threatened by um, the current administration. And we're in an election year, and we don't know what's going to happen. And for so many reasons, our children are going to be able to be, need to be able to be very flexible and able to handle the kinds of huge changes that they may face as they go into the future that we cannot visit, not even in our dreams. And maybe good, maybe bad. Um, there'll, there'll be great gifts from all of that. I'm, I'm sure, I know there will be. There always is. So I, I wanted to just dwell on, on this a bit, um, both the micro and the macro level. Um, children uh, are really masters of change when you think about it, how they love to dress up and be mommy and daddy or superheroes or whatever. Um, they love to pretend that they're something else than what they are. And because young children especially live in the present so much, the ever-changing now doesn't really disconcert them as much as it may disconcert us. You know, even, even moving, um, although it has its unsettling qualities, children are sort of, in general, it seems to me, ready to kind of get into whatever's happening. And they don't notice necessarily the, the change from this to that because they're just moving along the present timeline. So um, that, that's a gift, I think, that they offer us, is that gift of um, not being quite so resistant to change as some of us might be. On the other hand, we, having an adult sense of time, um, not only have a little more trouble with change in some ways, but we also see our children changing with a, a very bittersweet feeling of um, not wanting their littleness to change into bigness. How many of you have felt that? <laughs> oh, I mean, even that precious little five-day-old baby, you know, it's just like, oh, it's so precious, just like it is. Uh, we don't want it to change, you know? And, um, and there you go, because by golly, they're changing, you know, every single moment. So I thought it might be nice for us to just sing together a song um, of change about children, just to feel for a moment that bittersweetness uh, that's captured so beautifully in the song from Fiddler on the Roof, um, Sunrise, Sunset. And I believe you've got this on your song sheets. How many of you know this song? You know, Phil, it's such a, uh, such a touching moment in that, in that um, film or that play when uh, the father and mother are contemplating their daughter. I think it's maybe their first daughter about to marry and just wonder what happened. How did this happen? So let's sing it together. I didn't put the whole song on, just, just the first verse or so. Is this the little girl? Is this the little girl I carry? Is this the little boy at play? I don't remember growing older. When did they 
did she get to be a beauty? When did he get to be so tall? Wasn't it just yesterday when they were My little um, precious five-day-old baby is now 16, and people have been asking me, how's Matt? Because a lot of people here know him over the years. And I have to say, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. I'm really enjoying him. And I, I am so grateful that, that there's a celebration that can happen with change, as well as the bittersweetness. And I think Julie's going to talk about that on Saturday the celebration of change. Um, but there's a lot of roads to travel to get there. And um, one of the things we can do to help our children, because they're, they're like a seed. They're going to grow regardless of what we do. We can try to hold them back. We can try to keep them small. But they're going to do what they're going to do. And um, the more we can be comfortable with the reality that everything changes, it's the nature of life. Living organisms change. All of them do. Even rocks, even rocks that look totally like set forever, um, are living things. They weave, they create little interesting crystals inside themselves, like that avocado. There's things going on inside that the outside doesn't show. So our own comfort with the reality of impermanence is, is a great gift to our own hearts and a great gift to our children so that we have that spaciousness to give them a nice wide open field to um, sprout in and find themselves in. However, I do want to say that children are not, always a ma are not always masters of going with the flow. They, too, have their resistances. And I'm sure you can all think of examples of a change that your child did not want to make. Any personal anecdotes come to mind? My daughter desperately did not want to go to Disneyland. Uh-huh. Want oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many of us have been there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my daughter got, we weren't going all 
<laughs> Which, of course, is not true. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that interesting balance of, of loving the new and the exciting, but also being really attached to those rituals, which I'll, I'm going to talk about actually in a moment. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I have a great song I, I uncovered this year that, uh, by a friend of mine named Bob Blue, and it's a song of resistance on the part of a child. I think you'll really enjoy it. Mom and me living alone, doing okay, fine on our own. I was all hers, she was all mine, and my bedtime was a quarter past nine. Oh, why did you marry my mom? I knew her first all of my life. She is my mother. She's just your wife. Let I like it fine, but I'd like it more if you'd pack your bags and move next door. Oh, why did you marry my mom? And when you kiss her, you kiss her way too long. A little peck would be fine, no longer than mine, but a 10-minute kiss is way out of line. You're a nice guy, nicer than some, even though you snore and won't buy me gum. We could be friends, you could come visit. If you've got a good reason, please tell me, what is it? Oh, why did you marry such a really good sort. I'm a really good sport. I might have agreed to give you advice, but you never asked. You just assumed. If you want to live here, there's got to be room. Our home is for two. It's not meant for three. There's just enough room for my mama and me. Oh, you could have married any Tom, Dick, or Harry. So, My mom. <laughs> yeah. And you got to kind of sympathize with the kid, you know? It's like they do live in a world where most of the changes come from adults' decisions, don't they? You know, we decide what the school year is, we decide what bedtime is, and so forth. So children are, they may look really stubborn, but you think about it, they're incredibly flexible. They get to determine fairly little of what actually happens in their schedules. So one of the things, uh, again, about ritual um, and, and familiarity and repetition is the kind of container that it gives us to kind of, it's like um, posts in a river, like life is just this rushing river, you know, one moment to the next. And there are these, um, these places that are standing and solid. Maybe rocks in the river would be a good analogy. Give us a place to stand. Give us a little solid ground in the midst of all that. And just as Heather was teaching this morning about ground and spaciousness, this is kind of what I think ritual is about, is giving us some ground in the middle of all that spaciousness of, of the nature of life. So I actually have a handout that I am, I'm going to put out on the table in the hall uh, about rituals. It's um, from a 
workshop I used to lead with another woman years ago, we developed quite a lot of, of printouts about ritual and the ways you can use it in the family, um, particularly around moments of transition, uh, familiar, predictable moments like losing your first tooth, moving from, say, family bed into your own bed or from crib into bed, going from breast to bottle um, for starting first grade um, or starting kindergarten, rather. And um, so I think, you know, you might find it helpful. And I made about 20 or 25, and if there's not enough, you know, I can, I can make more. So I'll, I'll put them out there. Um, and, you know, interestingly, as children get older, some of the rituals fall away, and you get that kind of, oh, Mom, we're not going to do that anymore. But I have noticed that if I drop a ritual, oftentimes I'll get, I'll get heck for it, you know. <laughs> and I remember a couple of Easter's ago, we, I always made Matt an Easter basket. I always hid it in the yard, and it was a big moment Easter morning for him to go find his Easter basket. It's what my family did when I was a kid. I was so thrilled to pass it on. And then, you know, this year, I guess it was last year, he was 15, I guess, and I thought, doesn't. He sleeps till 11 for Pete's sake, you know. <laughs> He's not going to jump out of bed at 7 and say, where's my Easter basket? So I thought, I'll let it go. He'll never notice, you know. So he got up around 11, kind of poked around, and he said, so uh, where's my Easter basket, you know. So I had to quickly go to the closet and whip something together <laughs> and, you know, send him on an errand and go hide it. And, um, but it was a great reminder to me that um, never underestimate the power of the familiar. And the other thing, too, about the familiar is that since kids are growing up in uh, a time of high stimulation, they've got the whole computer thing, and even if you're not letting that happen yet, it will probably enter your life at some point. And they've got a lot of visual stimulation, a lot of instant activity and instant energy. So they don't have to deal with as much with the kind of, I'm bored, I guess I'll read a book, I'm bored, I guess I'll go climb a tree. They, they don't kind of, there's a kind of easy access to anything to kind of keep the whole thing going. So as parents, it's easy to get caught up in that, and I certainly have experienced this, kind of help it, kind of helping keep them going, help it all keep going, um, provide them with entertainment, provide them with stimulation, or provide him with, you know, the camps, after-school activities or whatever, not only to enrich his life, but to keep him off the computer. You know, <laughs> kind of like there's this, this monster in the house that's always available. And we have to devise all these strategies to create an alternative that's interesting enough to pull him away from it or to require him away from it. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult and challenging um, kind of cultural milieu we're all working in right now. And one of the things I was thinking about is the beauty of finding the new within the familiar rather than always creating something new, kind of finding those things that we still do, like our family still takes walks around the block, you know, and that's 16. It's not something he's real thrilled about. But it still feels to me like just a really nice after dinner when the sun's out, take a little walk, and, and kind of notice what's new in the midst of that, what's growing in the neighbor's garden, uh, a new uh, flyer up on the billboard, uh, a new shop that just opened down the street that we hadn't even noticed was happening, or the shop changed its window display, whatever, you know. But just as a concept, the idea that the familiar needn't be same old, uh, it can be same old, thank you for this container, so glad to have something familiar, and here's what's new. So, something to explore. So, Going back to my 16-year-old, uh, my 
I'll just sing a little song about him. Five foot two, your hair is blue. All of a sudden, I'm shorter than you. What's happening to my baby boy? One ear pierced, sagging pants. You want a tattoo? Hey, not a chance. What's happening to my baby boy? He's got headphones on day and night. Talks hip-hop jive on the phone, testosterone. Will we make it through alive? But is he quick? Is he kind? Can he speak his heart and mind? Yes, that's my teenage baby boy. Well, with his friends and social life, I'm just a chauffeur. But when he wants to talk late at night, you know, he wants his mama near. So I confess it's lots of fun to grow up with my teenage son. Find out what's happening to my baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Good news, bad news, you know, um, watching all these changes in a teenager. How many of you have teenagers here? Oh, a lot of you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good news, bad news experiences um, that come along with being a teenager. Um, he, Matt, uh, I'll tell some private stuff, but this is totally confidential, okay? Don't ever say anything to Matt about it or anybody else, right? Okay. So in his freshman year of high school, he uh, had some encounters with alcohol, not surprisingly. And that was felt like very bad news. You know, he got um, called up by the high school security saying, your son is inebriated, come and get him. This is at an evening event of some kind. Bad news. Brought him home, figured out consequences, etc. The good news is um, he kind of didn't like it. He didn't like the feeling of being that inebriated. And he doesn't drink excessively anymore. So, and he has a lot of kind of opinions about other kids drinking excessively. He's got kind of a firm bead on what's, what's okay and what's not okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of not sorry it happened. And probably you can all think of examples like that where something happened that was a, a bad thing. But there's, there's learnings that come out of it. There's um, opportunities to talk. I had the opportunity around that to um, grow in my own parenting because I'm one of those sort of on the spectrum of kind of hard to soft, I'm way on the soft end, you know. And of course I'm married to somebody who's way on the hard end, wouldn't you know? It's always the way, you know. We find a, we find a way to polarize. So um, in this instance, I had the opportunity to move towards center, you know, because it was clear that something needed to happen that was firmer, clearer, and sharper than what I was usually comfortable with. And it really pushed my comfort zone a lot to have to do that. But I knew it was right for him, and, and it was. So it was a, a great growth experience for me. And again, I'm sure you have. Anybody got a, an experience like this they'd like to share? Some kind of way that you got pushed to grow as a parent because your child needed you to. Like, you know, also, you're like, well, I guess that's my cousin's business, and who I was. 
and leave them alone. <laughs> yeah. They're going to fall asleep. I said, well, I don't think the police are going to help here <laughs> because, you know. Anyway, but uh, so I finally went to see a therapist, and she told me exactly what you're saying. I've been very too soft on not to really notice all the cues and all that. And so um, I used to, she always would ask for presents, and the therapist told me, only give a present if you really want to. Mm. So then I went to her and said, oh, you know, I'm only going to give you a present if I feel like it, you know, in my heart that I want to give you this. Mm. And uh, so some of the tantrums are put with that, if I didn't have the right present or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> and she said, what do you mean? I Here's my present. I'm going to get it, right? And I said, no, the way you're behaving, there's, there's no way. And uh, and I, I'll tell you, she's never had a tantrum. <laughs> I mean, it's something really so small. I just can't really, you know. But mm-hmm. I, I just felt kind of being firm that, mm-hmm. you know, you give a present because you want to, not because of managing mm-hmm. you know, demand. And plus, she's had a lot of not having things, so I used to try to make up a little bit. Of course, of course. And yeah. um, like now, I'm like, no, <laughs> much more... Um, Mm. And I just see it's so good for her, mm. you know, and I have an ex- I mean, to grow to be, yeah, this is something that's good for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Anyone else think of anything? Kathy? What, that's so inspiring. Talk about bad news, good news. And that you got a chance to find out that it was right, because sometimes it takes decades for that, that evidence, that fruit to come from the seed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Well, th- this leads me to, to a, a little piece of, about what you're just talking about, which is how the vital gift that parents give children um, the gift of constancy and, and f- firmness and rootedness in the midst of change. Not the, the inevitable changes of life that we all experience, but the particular changeability of children's reality, just that they're very raw material when they come in. I feel like children come in very spiritually evolved, but just experientially innocent and uh, full of the rawness of just impulse and emotion and 
um, kind of impulse this way, impulse that way. And it's kind of wild to be inside that little body, I would think, you know, especially around the age of two or so, you know, when it gets really crazy. And uh, that, that sense that there's something stable and that's what parents can offer. Um, and I, I wrote a song um, recently when, when my son was going through some hard times and not just hard times, he was just trying to grow. He wasn't going through hard times, he was just growing. That's all he was doing. I was going through hard times. Let me clarify this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I reminded myself that even though he was with one hand flipping me off, slamming the door, rah, 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 on the other hand, he still needed me. And I, I thank you, I knew that. And I, I just hope we all can remember that they still need us at the very moment when they look most like they don't. And that doesn't mean we wrap our arms around them and hold them close to our hearts, because we'll probably get kicked in the shins. But it means in my heart. I knew I was still surrounding him and he still needed that sense of a constant mom. If only something to kick against. I mean, one reason to stay constant is so they can kick against you. Nothing more frustrating than trying to kick against something mushy, you know. So, um, so this is a little tribute to all that. I'm Still Your Mom is the title. You say you want to be free. You want to slip the noose. You want your hand on the wheel and the power to choose you don't want advice you just want respect and you don't want my expectations around your neck well i understand what you're reaching for i can't command you anymore you're more than a, you're not yet a man but you're more than a child And you still need your mom Once in a while You want the keys to the car You want a lock on your door You want to eat when you please And stay out late more and more You don't want questions about your friends You don't want to work But you sure want to spend I understand that you're breaking away Becoming a man more every day You're not on your own But you're stretching to fly But you're still once in a while I know in my heart I'm still number one We're growing apart But the bond between us Can never be undone I remember it all Those little boy times Stories and songs, your hand in mine. You looked up to me, no secrets at all. You trusted my power, you never knew I could fall. I understand, those days are gone, it's part of the plan, you're moving on. You're pushing the ceiling 
trying to reach the sky. I understand all we got is today. It's part of the plan. It's the natural way. You're not out the door, but your hand's on the key. But I'm still your mom, and I'll always be still your mom. I'll always be. The last time I sang that, and it says, I know in my heart I'm still number one, that was before he had a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, I'm number two and falling, but. <laughs> but, no. But all the friends of mine who are mothers of sons who are older, they reassure me that you'll always be number one in some way. I mean, that, that, and it's true for not just mothers of sons. Um, that's a really, that's an interesting spiritual razor's edge to know that, that we are not going to be the center of our children's universe much, much longer, really. And yet, their lives are, there's this cord, there's this cord, you know, that's always there that stretches and stretches and stretches, but is so strong. And um, my mom is now 85, my dad is 92. It's such a blessing that they're living and well. And I, there's just no one like my mom. There's no one like my dad. There's just no one. And it doesn't mean I want to see them all the time. I don't want to live with them. I don't want to be around them 24-7. But there's no one like them, you know. And there'll be no one like us in our children's lives ever, ever. No one quite like us. So it's a beautiful thing. So um, in our world of, of change, here we are. Let's talk for a moment just as adults because we are living in these shaky global times, shaky United States times, and um, <clears throat> needing to make changes. You know, we're needing to learn how to deal with fossil fuels differently, how to deal with water differently, with resources. We're needing to pay attention to um, sustainability in our lives. And um, as a first world country, as the you know, leaders of the, the world uh, in um, consumption, you know, we have you know, particular awareness that we are cultivating and, and need to keep cultivating. And I was telling Ajahn and Heather um, in our meeting before the retreat began that I've had a lot of anxiety the last month or so, uncharacteristically, um, that kind of real physical jittery, can't quite sleep, can't quite calm down, can't breathe below about here. And um, there's a lot of reasons for that I, that I could pin, pin on it, but I, I felt I kind of had this awareness that underneath it all is this feeling that some that the foundations of society are shaky you know kind of the constitution the checks and balances the you know that that whatever unaware trust i had that there was a system going that was basically um fairly stable you know, had a lot of problems was not fair to everybody um and as a white middle class person i'd probably feel more safety within that system than a poor person or a person of color or an immigrant so, you know, it's relative how safe you feel in this, in this society, but still a sense that the, the system was holding to some degree. And um, I've felt shaken in that, in that faith and um, feeling um, that I'm not sure that there's, uh, there's anything checking 
this uh, uh, way that, that our current administration is, is making wars and then talking about more wars and so forth. So I bring this up partly because it's very much in my heart and mind right now and partly because it, it asks me the question, well, what's the foundation underneath that foundation? You know, because that's a worldly foundation. That means it is by its nature unstable. All systems change. All governments eventually die, et cetera, et cetera. And we're in the midst of one of those times when, you know, the American empire may not be the American empire much longer. So I'm glad that we are here and sharing a practice that takes us to even deeper levels of stability and looking at what are the core, core things that last no matter what. What, what endures no matter what, you know? And I think the precepts are key to that. These are values that live in good times and bad, that are appropriate in any government, in any uh, society. They're universal. The Eightfold Path, which we studied one, a, a few retreats ago, um, fleshes out the precepts, gives us some more ways of, of approaching our world um, that lead to stability, peace, inner happiness, serenity. So one of the gifts that you're giving yourself and your children are these kind of stabilizing concepts, values, practices that endure in good times and bad. And as they grow and as their, their external world changes and their physical realities change, these, these qualities will be our, our friends and our, our stepping stones in the Russian River. I have also found the earth herself to be a great source of stability and comfort. And I think we all instinctively have that connection. Um, how many of you, when you were little, just wanted to kind of get outside and, and go to a favorite like place in nature, a favorite tree, a favorite corner of the yard, whatever, you know? And those summer vacations when you went to the lake that you always went to or the campground you always went to. And, um, there's some way, something about nature that helps me remember my size, which is rather small, you know, because <laughs> in our human world, we can feel pretty, pretty big. I mean, we're the grown-ups, you know, and, and we have these big brains, and we supposedly know a lot, and it, it's easy to feel that we should know th what to do. We should know, like you said, we should know how to parent. We should know how things are going to turn out. Um, nature reminds me that I'm small that I'm short, my life is short. Most, many of these trees have lived longer than me. Um, this land is gonna be here, God willing, long after I'm gone. And it's very comforting. It, actually, that feeling of smallness and impermanence is a comfort rather than a, ooh, you know, that's scary. So I thought I would just take a few moments to, um, to just offer us a little bit of that, dwelling in that awareness of the, the earth as the larger container for our impermanent, shaky lives and um, providing us a resting place. And just something kind of eternal, because even as the globe, as the planet is changing, it doesn't mean it's going to split off into a million pieces. It's just going to go through its evolution, just like our children are changing from infant to toddler to whatever, the earth is going through her changes and um, she will remain um, a planet. <laughs> She's going to be a planet for a long time. So this is a, a hymn that I wrote a number of years ago.
like straw spun into gold. She holds us all within her breast and folds us in her grace. We cling like children to her breast, this glowing jewel I lose her face a thousand times in crowded streets of tears. But when I gaze at starry skies, I see her shining clear. I lose her voice amidst the din and clamor all around. But if I listen to the winds, I hear her sacred sound. Surrounded by a phantom host of dangers and I long for her simplicity, her slow and steady fire. And though this human enterprise seems poised between hope and hell, Earth circles on her endless dance and whispers, all is well. Earth moves in a mysterious way. I, when I was in high school, I sang in a, the, the uh, high school choir, and we sang a beautiful song that set the words of Robert Frost to music, and it came back to me um, when I was planning this, and I wanted to read you the poem called Choose Something Like a Star. O star, the fairest one in sight, we grant your loftiness the right to some obscurity of cloud it will not do to say of night, since dark is what brings out your light. Some mystery becomes the proud. To be wholly taciturn is your reserve, in your reserve, I'm sorry, but 
to be wholly taciturn in your reserve is not allowed. Say something to us we can learn by heart and when alone repeat. Say something. And it says, I burn. But say with what degree of heat. Talk Fahrenheit. Talk centigrade. Use language we can comprehend. Tell us what elements you blend. It gives us strangely little aid, but does tell something in the end. And steadfast as Keats's Aramite, not even stooping from its sphere, it asks a little of us here. It asks of us a certain height. So when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may choose something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. There's a song that um, came to me in the last couple of years that um, was inspired by a wonderful woman named Arundhati Roy, who some of you have probably heard of. She wrote The, um, the God of Small Things. And she's from India and has become a tremendous uh, worldwide spokesperson for the poor of India and the farmers of India. And um, at a lecture she gave once, she said something wonderful that stayed with me and became a song. She said, a new world is not only possible, it is on its way. On a still day, I can hear her breathing. And I think this is really speaks to the good news, bad news of climate change, social change, um, all the, the structural changes we may go through, the lifestyle changes that we will undoubtedly need to, um, need to embrace, and our children also. And just parenthetically, a, a book by the man, I can't think of his name, who wrote Peak Oil, Anybody remember who he is? Anyway, he's a, hmm? Anyway, a book called Peak Oil, talking about the, the end of the fossil fuel era. And there's a little paragraph in one of his books, I think it's the one after Peak Oil, where he talks about what our lives might look like, like when we no longer can use fossil fuel, fuels at will and, and all of the other unsustainability that we're going to be needing to address. And he talks about a life where we stay closer to home, where we live closer in community, where food is grown more locally, where we walk or bicycle and um, work closer to home. And if you don't think about what we're giving up, if we don't think about, oh my God, you know, what a huge change. If we just picture that life, doesn't it actually sound rather lovely? You know? Aren't we a bit captive you know, in, in these luxuries that have built up around us? And um, we are, pro I don't know if human beings are constructed in such a way, except for a few maybe exceptional ones, constructed in a way where we would willingly put this all aside and find another way. But when it's taken from us or forced from us, um, there may be a very great gift on the other side of that. And that may be the good news after the bad news. So I, I try to keep a very open mind about the future um, and not dwell exclusively on what's being lost, what's dying, what's um, eroding and, and disintegrating. Um, but to keep that balance of, hmm, wonder what's next. So here's the song. And I'll
I'll teach you. I don't think I put this in your um, song sheets, but you don't need it. It goes, there's a new world come. There's a new sing but we breathe and I, it turns out those breaths are kind of the lamaze breaths they're the birth breaths you know where in lamaze you or you know natural whatever childbirth you breathe in a couple of times and then a big breath out so we get to breathe together breathing in this new world midwiving what's coming so sing it with me it's got a little bit of a gospel feel we'll take our time with it there's a new second verse is yes we are ready for that great morning so sing it with me yes we are ready for that great morning we are ready clear light for that clear light we are ready work together to work together sing sing through every long dark night and i really want us to sing this last round with celebration for this new world that's coming, for all the hope for our children. We want them to embrace this new world, live fully into it, and know that it's their world, and they're going to just make it wonderful. There's a new world coming. There's a
So thank you so much for your presence and your attention. And um, I'm sorry we didn't have more time to talk together, but we have parent um, discussion groups, I think, in the afternoon. So um, if there's things that emerge today that you're needing to process, um, that'll be the place for it. In a moment, our dear, wonderful retreat manager is going to give us the usual, not the usual, the, um, the new and fresh within the old <laughs> um, retreat orientation. Uh, you just have to know that the first day of the retreat is a little front-loaded on information. It just has to be so that you're prepped, so I'm sorry for that. I have a few things I need to say first, Ruby. I'm sorry, and we'll get through it as quickly as I can. Um, a few announcements from Heather. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.